You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Vanguards of Healthcare podcast series. My name is Matt Henriksen, the Medical Technology Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, which is the in-house equity research platform of Bloomberg. We are pleased to have with us today Dave Marver, CEO of Onward Medical, a medical device company that is driving the innovation to enable people with spinal cord injuries to move again through their ARC therapy. You can dive deeper into the company by typing in O-N-W-D space B-B equity go on your Bloomberg terminal. Dave, thank you for joining us today. Matt, it's nice to be with you. Thank you. And we're going to cover a lot in this episode. I mean, when we can say enable people with spinal cord injuries to move again, I mean, that's just wow. I mean, just wow. But why don't we leave the listeners in suspense for just a little bit as we kind of set the background on kind of spinal cord injury and onward medical first. So now you're from Cincinnati originally. So how did your career path take you from Ohio to Europe to take on the CEO role? Yeah, I'm currently living in Switzerland, which is a long way from Cincinnati. And uh, it was a meandering path, I would say. I had the good fortune to attend Duke University, and I had a psychology major, and I uh, somehow found my way into med tech. I first worked for a CDMO, so a supplier of components to the medical device industry. And then I had the, uh, the opportunity to join Medtronic fairly early in my career. And I uh, worked my way up at Medtronic. I took a lot of turnaround opportunities and challenging positions. And and uh, one of my roles there was VP of marketing for the cardiac rhythm management business in Western Europe. So I was in Switzerland 20 years ago on an expat assignment for three years, came back to the U.S., wound up running a NASDAQ-listed company called Cardiac Science, sold that, and then after founding a couple of startups, was delighted to return to Switzerland to have the opportunity to run this really extraordinary company called Onward Medical. That's fascinating. And so with Onward Medical, you are focused primarily on spinal cord injury. So let's kind of dive deeper into the landscape around um, SCI uh, and talk about what are the incidents and prevalence rates and why are these injuries such a burden to the healthcare system? 
Yeah, there are 7 million people worldwide with a spinal cord injury and more than three quarters of a million additional injuries per year. Uh, our current focus as a scale-up company is is on the U.S. and Western Europe, where we expect to commercialize initially. And there, there are 650,000 people with spinal cord injury. It's a devastating injury. Most people associate it with paralysis or loss of sensation, but it comes with many other health challenges that impact one's ability to execute activities of daily life. Um, frequently, there are issues with blood pressure regulation, incontinence, sexual function. Uh, there's frequent infection. It's a tough, tough injury. And as you can imagine, it's expensive as well because outside assistance is often required to support activities of daily life. In fact, people with paraplegia, meaning just their legs have lost function, it can cost nearly $3 million to support them over the course of their lifetime. And people with tetraplegia, so hands and arms have loss of function, that cost can exceed $5 million over the course of a lifetime. So it's expensive, difficult, and, and highly prevalent injury. Okay. And that brings us to your ARC system. Um, what is the system and kind of how is, what is the mechanism of action for this technology? We have two technology platforms and they both stimulate the spinal cord to restore movement and function after spinal cord injury. One of the platforms is called ARC-EX and that stimulates the spinal cord through the skin. The other is called ARC-IM. That's an implantable system where a lead is placed right on top of the spinal cord and, and that stimulates the spinal cord you know, in a very direct way and it's more readily available via voice command. The mechanism is really that when you have a spinal cord injury, there's an interruption in conduction between the brain and the spinal cord. And we stimulate the other side of that injury where the spinal cord is intact, but it's dormant. And in doing so, we were able to stimulate the spinal cord and affect a movement or function that has been lost as a result of the injury. Okay. So it almost sounds like a, a detour where there's a roadblock where the injury took place and you're now being able to send the signal to, as you said, the dormant part of the nervous system that's exactly. still it's working. It's a bridge, it's a detour. Yeah, however you want to think about it, exactly. Okay. And then, so how is this similar or different than kind of some of the other spinal cord stimulation or other neuromodulation technology that's out in the market? Well, the most frequently used spinal cord stimulation therapy is, is for pain. And actually, our implantable device, the procedure itself is quite similar to the one that's used for pain. We're implanting a neurostimulator in the abdomen or flank that connects to a paddle lead that's placed on the spinal cord near the area of the spinal cord that's responsible for controlling or triggering a given movement or function. What's different is that our system, our platform is really purpose designed for what we're trying to achieve. So we have a neurostimulator that's far more flexible and precise than a pain neurostimulator. It's also engineered to function in closed loop, not closed loop like you sometimes see in pain where the, the lead gives feedback to the IPG or neurostimulator, but rather we can receive information from other devices. 
Uh, could be a blood pressure sensor, could be a, a body-worn accelerometer, could be a brain-computer interface. And our system is, is architected to receive that wireless data quickly with low power consumption and low latency. Our leads are also purpose-designed. So pain stimulators are focused on the midline of the spinal cord. We're trying to capture or electronically stimulate the dorsal entry roots, with li which lie on the lateral aspect of the spinal cord. So everything about our system, it sort of looks like a pain stimulation system, but it's purpose-built for the therapies we're trying to put in place. Okay. And so, you know, also because it's 2023, a lot of the buzzwords we're seeing, um, you know, is AI or computer learning, uh, machine learning. Um, there's got to be some sort of component in there as well as you're kind of get, connecting the brain, which is kind of the ultimate computer, to the rest of the body. So what, how, what type of machine learning or AI is involved in this process as well? Yeah, our, our, our basic system, and I'm hesitant to call it basic because in and of itself, it's revolutionary. We're helping people with paralysis restore movement and function. Our basic system, we're stimulating the spinal cord in a very precise way. Uh, we know where to stimulate and how to stimulate, and the mechanism is very well understood. There are multiple nature papers that describe the mechanism. Recently, however, we've started to combine our spinal cord stimulation platform with an implanted brain-computer interface to see if that, that brain-computer interface, or BCI, can make our movement-related indications even better. Can make, can make the movements more natural, more controllable, because they're powered by thought. And that's where AI is used. So the AI is used to help this implanted BCI locate the part of the motor cortex where thoughts or the intention to move is occurring. The AI is also used to map out the, the location and the character of the thoughts across the entire continuum of a movement, like a step or lifting of one's hand. And a person trains to use the power of thought with, with an avatar on a screen. So they learn to control a movement on the screen via their avatar. And later, that same thinking can control his or her own movement because the AI is used to translate those brain signals into specific instructions for our device, so it knows how to stimulate the spinal cord to affect a movement. Okay, and then we we talk about we talk about briefly already um, Arc EX, which is the external system, and then Arc IM, which is the internal one. Uh, is there anything that you want to dive deeper into about how they differ or how they're designed uh, differently? So the ARCX is an external system. That's the first platform that we expect to commercialize, likely the second half of next year. And the first indication we're pursuing is restoring hand and arm function. And indeed, we've already completed a global pivotal trial called Uplift. We had uh, 14 sites around the world, 10 of them in the US, uh, four of them in Canada and Europe. And we met the primary safety and effectiveness endpoints. We had nearly a three-quarter, nearly a 75% responder rate. A responder is defined as demonstrating improvements in both strength and function. And these okay. are in people with chronic spinal cord injury for whom there really, for all in hu of human history, has been no available therapy. RKX is designed to be used 
in the rehabilitation clinic or the home. It's more of an episodic therapy. So a person would use it for 30 to 60 minutes per day. And by using the stimulation in therapy, they can perform a movement they otherwise couldn't perform. And by training in doing that movement, they then recover the ability to affect that movement or perform that movement, even when stimulation is no longer used. ArcIM is, is different because it's an implantable device. It's available 24-7. The person can turn on stimulation with voice command using a smartwatch. They can adjust the stimulation parameters. ArcIM is also far more precise because the, the stimulation is not happening from outside the body. It's happening through a lead that's placed directly on the spinal cord. So it's our expectation that ArcIM will result in finer resolution in the restoration of movement, more control, and the ability to potentially restore functions that can't be restored well externally. Maybe things like incontinence, sexual function that are controlled in the sacral spinal cord, which are very low in the spinal cord, where there's a lot of density of, uh, of nerves and, 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 and so forth. So we're glad we have both platforms. Uh, we think that they have complementary roles and we're looking forward to clinicians and people with spinal cord injury sort of getting the most out of both of these. Okay. And then, yeah, I saw with the ARC EX um, that responder rate is 70%, 72%, which is, you know, impressive for a pivotal study. Um, We have that, these results now, what's the next steps for getting to um, either product approval, either in the U S or in Europe? um, And then just kind of the strategy around the, the potential commercial launch once it's approved. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because people often want to talk about the brain-computer interface-enabled system that restores um, walking and other movement. And, and this is a bit further off. You know, we're hopeful we can get that sort of system commercialized. Oh, and we'll we'll talk about that later. Don't worry. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Um, I'm, so that's something that we're, we're hopeful we can get out there in, in the next, let's say, by the end of the decade. In the meantime, though, we do have highly impactful therapies that we're hopeful will reach the market within the next 12 months. And the first of those we're planning uh, to be ARCEX to restore hand and arm function. So that rollout, what we foresee is that we'll have a device that we expect to be priced at $30,000. We'll sell that into specialized rehabilitation clinics. There are these clinics that cater to people with SCI, spinal cord injury, stroke, other movement disabilities. There are really only about 200 of them in the US and Europe. So we can focus on a, a really a concentrated number of call points. Our expectation is that initially we'll have market access to about a third of covered lives, relevant covered lives in the US. When you think about the VA, mm-hmm. workers' comp, and some percentage of self-pay, Later, once we've established a pricing history, we'll pursue a DME code, a HICPICS code, once we have that history established, and then we'll be able to expand to more covered lives, Medicare, private payers, and so on. There's a big opportunity beyond the clinic, and that's really in the home. It's our expectation that people will gain experience with RKX therapy in the clinic for a period of weeks or months, and then the clinician will refer or prescribe its use in the home where the person can sustain or augment their gains over time. Okay. And so 
so it sounds like we're sometime maybe by the next year you will get FDA approval and then are, are the conversations with the VA kind of already starting here or do you think there's going to need to be any um, economic benefit kind of clinical data that needs to be developed to um, support your argument with them uh, just you know those kind of steps as well as we try to think about 2024 Matt we're launching into a um a category with profound unmet needs. These uh, mm-hmm. clinicians, whether in the VA or or in the sort of non-federal provider market, they've spent their whole career trying to help people with paralysis without compelling, impactful tools. And so there's a great deal of enthusiasm for the therapy already. And we do have the positive pivotal trial results. Uh, the VA Bronx, which is the leading center of, of excellence for spinal cord injury within the VA system, was a participant in the uplift trial. So, so we're already, in many respects, engaged with the VA, and they're looking forward to having this device uh, available. Also recently, in fact, we announced it last week, we forged an agreement with a company called Levels, which is one of these disabled, veteran-owned small businesses that has preferred contracting position uh, on these federal government procurement contracts, which means that shortly after we gain FDA clearance for ARCHIEX, we'll be on those purchasing vehicles and VA will be able to purchase our device for use in their clinics or to prescribe for use in veterans' homes. Okay. And then for ARCIM, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is you've begun to test this device for patients um, facing hypotension or hemodynamic instability resulting from uh, spinal cord injury. Um, what have the interim results looked like so far? And then for that one, I mean, that's not a commercialization in 2024, but there's got to be a step function between the commercialization of EX and then the long-term with uh, BCI, as we're going to talk more about later. Um, so where, where does that fit in in between those two um, catalysts? We're, we're really a platform company. So we've already used ARC-IM and, uh, and done first-in-human implants across several potential indications. We want to invest in, conduct clinical trials, and commercialize indications that are of the highest priority for people with spinal cord injury. Uh, the first indication actually that we expect to commercialize with the ARC-IM platform, the implantable platform, is addressing blood pressure instability. So this is not sort of the garden variety hypertension that, that people are familiar with that is relatively easily managed medically. Instead, after a spinal cord injury, people experience blood pressure instability that manifests in two different ways. One is something called orthostatic hypotension. So you might experience this, Matt, if you get up too quickly, you might feel lightheaded, but your brain sends Mm -hmm. a signal to your spinal cord, increases your vascular resistance, your cardiac output, your blood pressure elevates, you no longer feel faint after a second or two. Well, because the connection between the brain and spinal cord is, is blocked, in the event of a spinal cord injury, that corrective signal doesn't reach the destination. And so people with spinal cord injury often struggle with this feeling of of, of being close to fainting. It's called syncope. When they transition from bed to chair, 
if they sit upright for a period of time, maybe in the car ride, sometimes after they eat, so postprandially. And it can be debilitating. Sometimes it can take an hour just to transition from bed to chair in the morning. So that's certainly something that we want to address. The other issue that they have is their body cannot cope with autonomic signals like an itch or uh, the, the feeling that their bladder is full. In that case, they get these dangerous spikes. And our research partners here in Switzerland, they've identified the precise location along the spinal cord. We call it the hemodynamic hotspot, which when stimulated kind of resets and stabilizes blood pressure after paralysis. So this is the sort of thing you turn it on. You can tell if it's working even intraoperatively. There's no rehabilitation required. And it's very much difference making for people with paralysis. So that comes first. Then we've also implanted ARC-IM uh, therapy in so far nine people who have paralysis. And there are at least one nature paper underlying this one as well, showing that we can restore the ability to stand and walk. Even in people with, it's called Asia A, complete spinal cord injury, complete absence of motor function and sensation. We've also uh, applied ARC therapy to a couple of people with Parkinson's disease. So we look forward to to uh, uh, publicizing that to some extent in the in the near future, and uh, and so collectively between the blood pressure therapy and the mobility therapy uh, for SCI and Parkinson's, we're up to about twenty five people uh, with whom we have experience with with implanted ARCIM therapy. Okay, and so I guess with this, the next steps you have the Empower clinical trial for the. Um, hemodynamic instability. Are those, where are we with the enrollment or will data be presented on that shortly? Uh, and then the you know steps after that naturally is then approval. So is that a kind of a, we're looking at a 2025 event, 2026, kind of what's, what's the timeline there? Yeah, thanks, Matt. So we, 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 we've already discussed that the uplift clinical trial is complete, met the primary endpoints, good responder rate, using those data to uh, put together a 510K, a de novo submission, so we can get ARC EX 510 cleared. In the meantime, the first pivotal study using the ARC IM platform is called Empower BP. There, we need to demonstrate the safety and effectiveness of that therapy to address blood pressure instability. So, we have uh, nine FDA breakthrough device designation awards, by the way, and one of them is for the blood pressure indication with ARC IM. So, we have the benefit of frequent interaction with FDA and sprint meetings where we're talking about the design of Empower BP. I don't have anything to share with you today on that, but mm -hmm. we look forward to finalizing uh, the design, the outcomes, the duration of follow-up in the near future with the hopes of starting that trial, I would say the second half of next year in the US and Europe. Okay. All right. Um and so that's a very nice next step for your platform, but then, you know, What's in the news the last few months, and we talked briefly about the Nature um, article that came out, is the use of IM to help patients walk again, which is just, yeah. It's amazing just to think about that as, as someone who's paralyzed and can't walk, all of a sudden now be able to have that ability to, again, seems borderline miraculous. And so here we are now in 2023, and it seems to be more of a reality at this point. Um, 
I, I mean, where, where do we go from there? Uh, Dave, uh, just, why, well, maybe just why don't you start with just telling what, how the last few months have been for you and for the company? Mm-hmm. Well, so the walking indication is it really is miraculous. And, and all the credit goes to Professor uh, G. Cortine and, and Dr. Block, the neurosurgeon, and their partnership and the group of people at NeuroRestore here in Lausanne that, that really created this therapy. We just have the privilege as a group of people working it onward to commercialize it. Um, the walking therapy, it, it, it's amazing. I, I don't want to overpromise, however because it does require a lot of rehabilitation. You can imagine if you've been uh, paralyzed for several years, your muscles atrophy, um, you, you have to regain muscle mass, uh, balance, what have you. Mm-hmm. And so far, the, the walking is really more, um, it's, it's more therapeutic than it is functional. They can walk, they can weight bear, they can train by walking. Uh, we're hopeful that it's gonna get even better over time. And there are some serendipitous benefits from walking again. It's just more healthy. Uh, It's good for the bones to bear weight. Uh, You get as well some other benefits that are unexpected. Uh, One of the participants in the the feasibility clinical trial uh, gave birth to a daughter after not previously having that ability. So it's, it's super cool. Lately, though, and I think this is where you're going, we've been experimenting with pairing our mobility indicate our build mobility um, therapy with an implanted brain computer interface to control it with the power of thought. And it's uh, it's really cool to see the potential of that therapy. Again, we've done it now for mobility. And then just this week, we announced that we did a similar implant to help somebody restore their arms, hands, and fingers. We will look forward to announcing uh, more information about that implant uh, over time. We want to wait for the publication, but it's, uh, it's a really uh, a privilege to be a part of it. Yeah. And so why don't we just take a step back and let the list, why don't we explain to the listeners and to myself exactly what the BCI function does and how it's additive. So ARC-IEM stimulates the spinal cord in a very precise way to restore movement, but it needs to be controlled somehow. So when a person is walking with the ARC-IEM spinal cord stimulation, uh, they turn on the stimulation and it, it sort of in sequence, stimulates the spinal cord step by step. And the speed and the triggering can be either through a body-worn accelerometer or the person can control a clicker to control the speed and the, and the duration of walking. With the benefit of the BCI, that walking motion can be controlled with thought. And so what the Nature paper uh, described back in May was that the addition of the BCI enabled the person to walk more naturally. So they could pause, they could control the length of their stride. They could even navigate more complex terrain, such as stairs. And we think that the introduction of the BCI is even more important for hand, arm, and finger function, where the movement is not typically repetitive, where one has to determine, okay, I'm picking up a fork to feed myself. How long do I want to hold the fork? How much pressure do I want to apply to the fork? There's a lot more precise control that is really required for the hands and arms. And also, as you can imagine, hands and arms are so important for independence and activities of daily life. So we we think there's a very important role to play for the BCI. It's early days. Again, we've just done our first two clinical implants. We have 
four more, at least four more planned over the course of the next uh, year or so. Well, that, that sounds like there's a lot of promising aspects here when you add BCI to the current technology. Um, so, you know, now that I'm taking the equity research side of um, things and, you know, quantifying all these indications and potential indications and potential combinations when you start using BCI, um, how large can this market opportunity be when you put them all together? I'm glad you asked that question because we have these two hardware platforms. They're very versatile. And just with uh, small modifications in software and occasionally firmware, we can pursue many different indications for the benefit of people with spinal cord injury and other movement disabilities. And the way we think about it is the three indications that we currently have in our business plan, that be, those being restoring hand and arm function with ArchiX, restoring mobility and blood pressure stability with ArcIM, that TAM is about 20 billion US. If you look at the other opportunities in our pipeline, then the TAM exceeds $100 billion. So certainly big enough for us to build an enduring business, a successful business that provides a good return for investors, but also for us, more importantly, can make a big impact in the lives of people with spinal cord injury and their, and their loved ones and caregivers. Okay. And so... And then within that large market opportunity, how does the competitive landscape look um, compared to others? I mean, it seems that you have a first mover advantage right now as you talk about being the first company to be able to perform these kind of um, uh, these feats. Um, so, but I'm sure there's other companies that are looking into this and are developing their own thing, but how, how, how does it look? And then you have quite a large patent portfolio. So how does that create a moat around uh, your technology? Indeed, we are first mover here. We, we've pioneered these therapies. And as a result, we've been able to put together a significant IP estate. Uh, we announced actually just last week that we now have over 360 issued or pending patents worldwide, over 200 issued patents. Uh, roughly half of those we developed here as an organization natively. And the other half, again, taking advantage of our status at First Mover, we've already exclusively licensed from the leading neuroscience research institution, institutions around the world, such as Caltech and EPFL. So that's a, a real strength of the company going forward. Competitively, we're also in quite a good situation. Uh, with ArchiX, there are a couple of small companies that are developing similar technologies. We're ahead of them. Uh, we feel like we have a management team, uh, capital uh, structure, sort of balance sheet, um, as well as the IP. Uh, we have several advantages vis-a-vis -vis those very small competitors. And then with ArchiM, there are really no no other companies that are working on implanted devices that stimulate the spinal cord to address these needs in these populations. And so one can envision that potentially in future years, the companies that have implanted spinal cord stimulators for pain might try to enter the space. Uh, my view, having been a VP of strategy and business development at Medtronic many years ago, is that they'd be a lot more inclined to use their balance sheet and buy us rather than try to compete with us by developing something 
from scratch and, and use their P&L and, and incur technology risk, as well as confronting our IP portfolio. Interesting. And so, and we're talking about IP and we're talking about product development, and we've already talked about so much with the EX, the IM, the BCI. So I feel kind of foolish for asking this, but I'm going to anyway, but it's like, what, what, what's, what's next? How do you see the next 10 years? How do you see when we get to 2030, what, you know, where this technology could take us? You're right. We did talk about the technology platforms. We talked about the, the range of indications that we are pursuing or could potentially pursue many of which we, we've already demonstrated human proof of concept. My, I, my vision here is that in, let's say, seven to 10 years, a person with a spinal cord injury can engage in a discussion with their clinician and say, you know, I would like to fix this, this, and this. Now, maybe my hand and arm function, stabilize my blood pressure, and address my incontinence. And we'll, that, that doctor or clinician will have the ability to offer therapies that have an 80 plus percent probability of working. Um, and they'll know exactly uh, where to implant our device and lead and how to program, supported by our field engineers, to get a good result for that patient. So it's really offering an a la carte menu of things to fix that are high priorities for people with spinal cord injury and that really make a big difference in their quality of life. And that's going to be fascinating too, because, you know, we talked about that it's not the cure-all right now because patients who have had been paralyzed for several years, they've had muscle atrophy. So you have to go through all that. But if you get this technology out there for people who do have spinal cord injuries in the future, you're going to be able to treat them much quicker um, and before their muscles, you know, atrophy and um, anything like that. So it just, it seems like a very promising technology. So Dave, I, I thank you so much for joining us today. It has been a great conversation with you. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be with you. And we really appreciate you uh, drawing attention to the work that we're doing here at Onward Medical. Thanks. And thank you to the listeners who tuned in for this episode. I hope you got as much out of it today as I did. Um, and we look forward to having you join us for future episodes. In fact, you can stay up to date on new episodes by clicking on the follow button. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. 
Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.